You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. I'm going to invite you to stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 7. The Bible says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This letter, 2 Timothy, is called a pastoral letter or a pastoral epistle. Uh, The reason it is called such is because it's a a personal letter that is written. This is not a letter in in a sense that it was written just to a a local church. This one is addressed to an individual. This individual named Timothy is a young man. Uh, Earlier, just a couple of verses, Paul has already called him his beloved child. And at this point in their relationship, Paul is nearing the end. In Rome sitting in a cell, dripping, uncomfortable, cold, winter is approaching, going through all the things that he has seen, his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, as we can read about in Acts chapter 9, all of the things that he has faced, the sermons that have been preached, the shipwrecks that he's endured, all of the times that he has been beaten or jailed or standing before magistrates and kings and councils and giving an answer for the hope that is in him. And at this point, as he goes through this, he says, there's some things that I remember. He can remember the tears coming down Timothy's face. And he longs to see him there in his cell, unable to do much, dependent upon people for almost everything, for the prison would not provide even for basic necessities. So he will ask later in this letter that he would bring him a a, a coat, a cloak, bring him something to read and that he might come quickly. He's there in this cell and it won't be long Until he's ushered out of that place, church tradition tells us that along the Ossian Way, that someone will swing the axe and that he will enter into the next life. But he teaches us some things. He reminds us that God works through families. It's fantastic to see what Paul has to say, actually, about the way that he views his own ancestors. Coming from the tribe of Benjamin, when it, when it comes to his raising, he was raised in synagogue. He was raised with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Uh, a Jew who had seen not only the first part of the story, but now understanding the realization of a new covenant in Jesus Christ. And he writes of this faith that he has seen in Timothy, who is a third generation Christian. Grandmother, Lois, a mother, Eunice, having taught him the scripture. Paul, on his first journey to Timothy's hometown of Lystra, 
having left Iconium because uh, there was going to be an attempt on his life, comes into Lystra, and it goes far beyond just an attempt. But he's dragged out of the city. He is stoned. And as the people gather around, he stands up, goes back, preaches the word. Coming back a second time, this young man, Timothy, who he says he is convinced of this sincere faith. For you see, to have a sincere faith, a saving faith, a true faith, faith has to have its proper object. And Timothy has come to know and understand that Jesus is the Christ of God sent into the world, the sin-absorbing sacrifice, as we sang about, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he reminds us and gives us permission to pause and to think about the reality of Timothy's existence. You see, Timothy... He didn't come from a family like Paul's. Paul's family was a believing family who gave themselves regularly to faith. But Timothy came from a family where, as best we can tell, his father was a Greek, a Gentile, and was an unbeliever. But we know that grandmothers and mothers have a profound and tremendous impact on our lives. And we see this as he sees the evidence of Timothy's faith, and he reminds him, I want you to, to fan into flame these things. I want you to work at these things. Remind yourself over and over and over in almost every single verse. He's either saying, here's a reminder I remember over and over and over as he walks us through these things. You see, families are different. Not all families look the same. And that's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, he said, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, when we talk about this next gen, when we talk about making disciples, disciple making is what the followers of Jesus do. It is our commission and our privilege. It is what we are to give ourselves to. And even if your family looks different, whether it's a foster family, an adoptive family, whether it's your nuclear family or there's step-parents and stepchildren, no matter what your family looks like for us, even as the orchard, this family of missionary servants, we've been sent to make disciples. And in this, I want you to know we need to keep room at the table for one more, to share our lives, to point people to Jesus, to say, as Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. He addresses these fears. Timothy had a very different disposition and personality than Paul did. And Paul says, I want you to remember these things. I want you to think of this fire. When a fire is set, you have to tend the fire. If you just leave it there and you don't do anything, those coals can not only lose their brightness, but their heat. The fire dies down, and so we have to continually be followers, learners, those who are pursuing a Christ-like character, those who are growing in grace and godliness. And he comes to the end of this section, and he reminds us a verse that for many of us we may have heard before. He says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And when it comes to this idea, depending on your translation, there is some discussion about whether or not spirit should be capitalized or not. 
I believe that it should, based on some other constructions of this in 1 Corinthians and Romans 8 that Paul uses, the idea being that God has given us his Holy Spirit by the power of that gospel of God unto salvation, being sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's given us one of love and power and this self-discipline, sound mind, self-control, whatever your translation reads. So you say, okay, John, I, I hear this story. I hear that sometimes families are not all the same. Spurgeon said for us as a, a family of faith here, let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that the Sunday school is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and most natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let holy grandmothers and gracious mothers with their husbands see to it that their own boys and girls are well taught in the book of the Lord. But then he goes on to say, where there are no such Christian parents, it is well and wisely done for godly people to intervene. It is a Christly work when others undertake this duty which the natural doers have left undone. The Lord Jesus looks with pleasure upon those who feed his lambs and nurse his babes. For it is not his will that any of those little ones should perish. God works through families. Families are different. Paul's family was very different from Timothy's family. But God not only works through families, but we all need those reminders. We all get busy, and when the schedule shifts, particularly around school and all the things that come with that, so many times we find ourselves failing to prioritize the right thing. Dear ones, I want you to know, uh, it, we must not neglect tending to our children's souls. What will it profit our children if they get a Nobel Prize but forfeit their soul? We must realize that when it comes to our families, this disciple-making unit that God has designed for human flourishing is the place for us to tell our children and grandchildren and neighbor children and children at the orchard that Jesus Christ, they matter to him. And they matter to us. To teach them to observe all the things that Scripture teaches, to walk them in the Word and to help them wisely process what this looks like. And for us, we need those reminders. I think there's a reason that Paul over and over and over say, I am reminded of this. I'm reminded of your tears. I'm reminded of your family. I'm reminded of my ancestors. I want to remember these things. And I want to remind you to fan into flame this gift that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we need people to remind us. We need people to help us remember. We need to help each other remember. When it comes to this, it's important to remember that we're pursuing consistency, not perfection. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ rescues sinners, and none of us has it all together. When it comes to this, nobody is a perfect disciple-making parent. You see, when it comes to families, our families are packed with selfish little sacks of sin, right? Including us. And given our opportunity, we will usually retreat to comfort and ease and that which takes the, the least amount of effort. We're not pursuing perfection. Christ was perfect on our behalf. But let us pursue consistency and lift one another's arms when we get tired. Let us truly be a family of missionary servants sent 
to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And last, it's important for us to remember that the power, love, self-control to be fearless comes from the Holy Spirit. Comes from the Holy Spirit. Being fearless doesn't mean that you're not scared. If you could stand in front of a bus that is heading straight for you and you're not scared, you have other issues. Being fearless doesn't mean that you're not nervous or anxious or you're not sure what to do next. Not having a spirit of fear means this. I recognize that wherever God has called me, he will empower me and he will give me all that I need for life and godliness. When you think as a parent, I'm not good enough, you're right, but Jesus is and that's who your children need to see as their champion, the author of their faith. And we need to confess our sin and teach them what it looks like when we deal with our inconsistencies, failure, and sin. When it comes to recognizing this and you say, I don't know enough. I haven't really even read the scripture all that much. It's okay. God the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. He will illuminate your heart and mind that you might be able to articulate the truth of scripture. And I'll tell you this, the plain things in scripture are the main things. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Point your children to the scripture. Show them how we make decisions, reasoning with them from the scripture. Learn from each other. Ask questions of each other. We need to encourage one another. That's why we have that place for us to all ask questions so we can learn to walk together as a family where we're truly making disciples. Some of you will say, well, I've waited too long. I want you to know there is no such thing as too long in God's economy. Today is the day of salvation. When it comes to our God, nothing is impossible. Some of you may say, John, you don't understand. I come from a family that has generationally been abusive, has had addiction issues or problems or struggles. I want you to know that we have a God who breaks those chains. You say, I, I, I come from a place where it seems like all my relationships always fail, and I, I just have messed up way too much. I want you to know there is grace for all those things. See, when it comes to making disciples, we're working toward progress, to be like Jesus, to remind ourselves and be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So today, I'm going to give you three things that I want you to do. Number one. Be fearless, even if it's scary. Take the next step and fan the flames. Jim Elliott's prayer captures really the idea of this verse. He said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and, I'm, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you. Lord Jesus. Let me tell you something, parents. Just, just take the next step, whatever that looks like. Just take a step. If you're not sure what to do, take those cards and say, okay, ask your kids, what are the things that we need to work on? Where, where, what do you need to learn about Jesus? Where is it that we need to make progress? Fan those things into flame. Tend them. It doesn't matter whether it is a smolder or an inferno. Give yourself and trusting that God will use his Holy Spirit for power, love, and self-discipline. 
take that next step. Two, trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. Oswald Chambers said this, feeling weak, timid, inadequate, even though you want to serve God, feeling like Timothy, if so, you are, you are an inviting prospect for the Holy Spirit. And if you call upon him, he will fill you with power. Trust that God will do what he says. Trust that he will be who he says he is. Rely on that. It's okay to go to God and say, I'm in over my head. I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to do next. He loves the humble, broken, and contrite. Those who know that they're in over their heads. Because in case you don't know it, we're all in over our heads. Last, bad news. Do your homework. Do your homework. I'm going to go ahead. We're taking it straight to the playground, even though school has not started. I double dog dare you. That's right. It's right out there. Right by the monkey bars. Double dog dare. Memorize the word. You want to know one of the best ways to fight sin? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You want to give your children something that they can take to school with them that will truly help them besides just a backpack filled with supplies? The reminder, they don't have to have a spirit of fear because God instead by his Holy Spirit has given us power, love, and self-discipline. Give them the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So take the next step. Trust that God will do what he says he will do. And do your homework. And just so you know, we'll ask your kids because they'll tell us the truth. Now, I want you to know as we get into this series, let us take this shift in change of schedule, change of responsibilities, and change of place in school with all of its unknown uncertainty, with all the questions when we use big words like discipleship. And let us realize this. The bottom line is, no matter what your family looks like, there is grace and you have a family here. And you matter to God and you matter to this family. Take that next step and trust that God will do what he says he will do. Make disciples. And do not lament what you have not done. And do not think God is bound by your past failure. Look to the power of the gospel and his grace. Jesus rescues sinners, and he helps inconsistent parents who are not always faithful in discipleship. I know, because he does this one. Today, some of you may be confronted with the reality that you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then I implore you on behalf of the living God, come find myself, Pastor Sam, one of our elders. Talk to some of the folks who will be at these tables to receive you in prayer. And say, I need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am ready to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him.